Welcome to the Game Changes for Good podcast. I'm Wahoo and this is a podcast where I interview notable and innovative game changers whose work has great social impact. In each episode, I will talk to guests who have in some way changed the game in their field of work, inciting impactful social change. All in the hope to understand who they are, why they do what they do, and by the end of the episode, besides learning about the beliefs and experiences that shapes them, we are also able to tease out their strategies, tips, their secret sauce to being a social impact practitioner. So sit back, relax, and let's jump into our episode today. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Giving Hub. Have you ever wondered how to maximize the money you donate to charity? Or if there are any other ways besides giving money that can more effectively help out a charity? Have you ever asked where you can find a charity that is effective in what they do to maximize your contribution? Giving Hub is an online platform to help you manage your charitable giving. You can choose to give to a non-profit organization, a social enterprise, or a charitable project created by volunteers. You can also give in the form of money or volunteer your professional skills to a matching charitable organization. The Giving Hub platform aims to help you give more effectively and to the most impactful organization. Visit the platform to find out how you can do this at www.givinghub.asia. This is part two of a three-part interview with Ian Yi. Now that you have touched on how important, you know, to have some kind of backing uh, mm-hmm. support to do this work, right? I do wonder about some of the challenges that you face going into investigative journalism because some of the issues that you took up, uh, it's not just controversial, but it's very sensitive issue. Sensitive in terms of it, it sometimes tips the balance of power, right? Uh, mm. With very, very either powerful or dodgy <laughs> parties <laughs> who might make things very difficult if not dangerous, for the team doing the investigation. How do you think about uh, investigative journalism work? In this sense, in Malaysia itself, what's the culture like and how difficult or dangerous it is to do this kind of work? Is that the reason why there are so few journalists or so few teams doing it? Yeah, I I definitely think that's true. Uh, I think there's a culture here of... uh, In a similar way, in in terms of how youth, you know, maybe a decade ago, were kind of disempowered. Uh, I don't know if that's even a word, but um, kind of systematically lulled into, you know, thinking that their voice doesn't matter. and um, Or maybe just cultural norms. So I think the same thing has happened to a lot of media organizations in Malaysia, which is why I tend to not be very harsh on traditional media companies, media organizations. When I know you see social media comments and they tend to be very violently angry at media sometimes. And I'm like, it's tough for them too. You know, it's tough for these. So I think media organizations don't do investigative journalism because of that. There's this culture of, you know, thinking, no point la. You know, if I do it, what's, you know, is, you know, is it going to make a difference? Will it get published? And another thing is very practical as well. Not everybody has the resources to do it. It is very expensive to run an investigation of any kind. It takes a lot of time a lot of resources that newsrooms really can't afford. In Dala, you know, Malaysian media companies don't get a lot of you know, financial support from uh, from things like subscriptions. 
Yeah. So and like the traditional advertising model for to fund newspapers, uh, news organizations, it's being a bit broken by the likes of Google and Facebook. So all the more reason media companies have to scale back on this type of work. But again, we were very very lucky at the time. Star, there were people there that took a gamble on us and backed us. Yeah. So can we dive into some of these uh, issues? that you guys worked on. I have a passage here that I'm reading. It's from one of these earlier interviews you've done. Uh, it says, one of the most memorable investigations I've worked on was on the illegal drug trade, right? So uh, can we maybe revisit some of these uh, issues, some of these uh, pieces that we have done? Sure. Um, look into the details. and, and Because for me, it's, some of these issues are so important, but they're also so interesting. Yeah. Let's start with the one on illegal drug trade. Like, what sure. is it? Why did you guys start doing this? Yeah. It started because we got a tip-off from an activist in Hong Kong who reached out and said that uh, there's this worrying new trend. He's seeing a lot of Malaysians, young Malaysians, ending up in prison in Hong Kong for drug trafficking. And he asked, you know, we like to work together and look into it, investigate. He was coming to Malaysia to follow up on some leads to help some of these inmates who he believes and who, you know the evidence, initial evidence, seemed to to point towards them being innocent mules. That means they are the types that really don't know that they are carrying drugs. Mm. Okay, so he wants to help investigate and find evidence that can help these mules in court in Hong Kong to ensure that they are given a, a fair sentence or in some cases acquitted. And uh, so, yeah, he came to Malaysia, we spoke, and then there was an opportunity for us to go to Hong Kong. And then from there, we were able to meet some of these mules that were in prison. Thanks to this activist, obviously, his name is Father John Waterspoon. He's a Catholic priest as well as an, uh, an anti-drug uh, trafficking kind of activist in Hong Kong. So that's how that story came about. Uh, and yeah, I hope that gives a good, uh, good. It's I think that's a good example of the kind of work that we do at Rage. Mm. So we don't just investigate and cover the issues. We do work with people in civil society, activists, for example, who are looking at solutions and creating positive impact. So in his case, what he really, his goal, and this is something that we always try to do, that we should always have kind of like, like simple call to action for every piece. Uh, in this case, the call to action was you know really kind of trying to get people to, you know, I don't think that this piece didn't have a direct call to action. It was a lot of behind the scenes work on our part. So the public never really got involved in that sense. In this case for us, the kind of like the advocacy point was uh, to make sure that, you know, the right people are held accountable for this form of trafficking, right? Because in many cases, these young mules are the ones that are sent to take the fall. Mm. And a lot of your multiple sources have told us that, they are people. They actually give up some of these mules uh, to to distract the police, to hinder police. So the, these young mules, like some of the ones, the cases that I mentioned, they they carry very small amounts of drugs. But then the whole police, you know, I, I'm assuming you know when you see a case like that in in an airport in Hong Kong, there's going to be multiple officers involved, and then all the others, other mules, or the real traffickers that are carrying larger amounts they get to walk free. In some cases, some activists have even speculated that um, this this might be something that they offer to the police there. Like kind of like a mm. kind of like an arrangement like to right. make sure that there's still arrests being made. Uh, and I'm not sure. So this this all this is speculation. Mm. 
so far as it was really about trying to make sure that the right people are held accountable for it. Uh, and in some cases, we had to at least try to prove that uh, this, these mules were innocent. So in some cases, they said, oh, if you find this person, um, if I can access my phone, if you check my WhatsApps, my WhatsApp messages, if you see my Facebook Messenger messages, you can see that I didn't know about the drugs. Uh, or you can see that I was coerced into it, and that could help their case in court. Uh, in some cases, they are like, yeah, yeah, I... Uh, it reached a point where I knew what it was already, but uh, I couldn't back up by then. They they were threatening me. And they said, if you check my messages, you will see that. Uh, unfortunately, because of bureaucracy and all that, it's so difficult. Some of these tiny little things could be the difference between them spending maybe 15 years in jail versus five years in jail, you know? So for, for these guys, they're like, yes, you know, eventually I did realize what it was, but I was too scared to back out. So I went through with it. And... Even one guy in particular, I remember, he was. He said, I, we met, I met him in prison in Hong Kong, and he said, you know what, I, some level, I, I understand if I have to spend some time here. I was stupid enough to fall for it. But to say that I deserve 15 years and the other trafficker is back home in Malaysia enjoying himself, then he said, no. Then he said, in that case, I, I want justice to be served. So we tried to then follow this trail of evidence that they gave us, to see whether we can prove that uh, they were indeed innocent. In some cases, we didn't... some cases, we can get quite conclusive evidence. Uh, in some cases, you can only provide, like, kind of circumstantial, you know, just... Yeah, not really solid evidence, but whatever it, it was, um, the activists in Hong Kong told us in some of the sentencing, uh, our, our reporting was actually, quote, uh, mentioned by the judge, like you know, because you cooperated, because you assisted in this investigation, not just here but also in Malaysia, uh, there are some mitigating circumstances. I don't know, and uh, some of the sentences were either reduced, and in one case, uh, one of them was acquitted. Uh, so, so yeah, so that's kind of like the impact side of what we do, aside from just investigating to create content. Um, we also try our best to to work with civil society to create these tiny little pockets of change. Is that how you look at, you know, kind of a way to either measure or conceptualize impact in, in the investigations? Like, uh, so in some cases, you are able to help the victims and themselves get lighter sentences perhaps, right? Mm. Or in some cases, maybe lead the authorities to... Uh, you know, the traffickers. So, but, you know, you would only be able to identify some of these effect or impact when you do the investigation, isn't it? So then in my mind, it's like, I have this question. So how do you decide when you start? How do you decide, okay, what's the yeah. angle here? And how long do we do this? Yeah. Right? Like, how, how do you guys decide on things like this? Yeah, and it's something that we've grappled with a lot as well because, you know, especially as we enter the social impact scene where there's always a lot of conversation about success metrics, right? Like, let's talk about m and &E, you know, mm. uh, monitoring and evaluation and how do you, what are your metrics? Um, and most of the time, we, we just can't give a straight answer. Like, how every project is, dif is different. Some projects we lobby for legislative change. Some projects we lobby for... Um, yeah, just some simple like guidelines and uh, um, like for example on like the student trafficking you know issue, and in some cases we are working with police officers behind the scene to 
pass on information that could help a drug, drug mule in Hong Kong get a lighter sentence to prove that he or she was innocent. So it's always different. And, and it usually takes a lot of brainstorming, a lot of meetings, a lot of doing the investigation first and then eventually realizing this is the thing that needs to, to, this is the metric that we need to focus on. This is the one small, yeah. So for me, I call it the one small step, right? Uh, I always think when it comes to creating impact, you're never going to solve the the broader, the whole issue. You're never going to end drug trafficking. You're not going to end human trafficking. You can take one small step to making it better. And uh, hopefully these small steps add up, you know, by a lot of different people working on the, tackling the issue from a lot of different angles, that it adds up to eventually putting an end to some of these injustices. So we always look for that one small step. Um, and, uh, and it takes a lot of brainstorming to get to that one thing that we know strategically is realistic, it's achievable, it's measurable in some way. Uh, like, I think all, you know, if you're in social impact, you'll know like smart goals, right? What was it? Specific, <laughs> yeah. measurable, achievable. And T is time bound, right? Time bound. Or t- yeah. I think it's never easy. It's a bit organic. Yeah, yeah. So that's, at least that's our approach. Hopefully we, we can codify like a better way to do it. But most of the time for us is we trust the journalistic process, right? We interview enough people, we investigate enough, and the solution will jump out. Like you speak to, like as part of our investigative process, as part of our storytelling process, we speak to all the different stakeholders on all sides. You know, everybody's story, you know, should be represented. So whether you're civil society, whether you're law enforcement, whether you're the victim, in some cases, understanding even the perpetrator's mindset, when you have all this information, that allows you to come up with an effective solution. Uh, so organically, through the process, sometimes we're like, yes, that's the one small step we can take. Uh, so we'll, we'll advocate for that. And in some cases, it never comes in. You, you just look at it and you're like, wow, nothing can be done, huh? <laughs> it's like, mm. like, I think one thing that we've been grappling with is something we spoke about yesterday, refugee rights. Mm. You know, it's just such a conundrum. It's, such, it's, it's scary how something like that can be just so mired in um yeah it's just like there's no way forward in some some sometimes but uh yeah so we we keep we keep working on it but we still keep trying and hopefully it all adds up someday okay i want to try uh something here at this point clarissa i don't know whether i'm pronouncing the name right (laughs) clarissa and the theme song this is I think still related to this investigation on drug mules. Uh-huh. Do you remember this? We had an investigation into human trafficking involving uh, particularly uh, uh, students from Bangladesh. So university students who think that they're coming to Malaysia to get a, a university or a college education. Oh. But when these students from Bangladesh get here, they realize, oh, it's actually a scam. Like the college doesn't really exist. And it's just uh, a way for them to to traffic in uh, migrant workers. So then they get forced to go to work in a construction site. And if you just want to hang around in the college, there's no classes, you're not going to get your degree. And at any point, the college can decide that like the, the power is always in the college's hands, right? They can uh, uh, report you for like a disciplinary offense and then you get deported. Wait, yeah. do the students know about this when they when they you know signed up for 
Some of them will know for sure. Some of them know what's going on. They know that they're coming here to work. But there's also a significant amount that thought, genuinely thought that they are coming here to study. And we were able to confirm that when we, so by going undercover in, in Dhaka, in Bangladesh, and speaking to some of the agents there, and the agents were like, oh, no, 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 you're, you're going to Malaysia just to study. Which university? This university. Wow. Yeah, you can work, you can, you can work part-time, and you can pay for your degree. It's going to be the best degree. It's going to change your family's, you know, fortunes and all that. Uh, but for a fact, we know that the university they're sending them to here is bogus. So we can wow. confirm that a lot of them are actually being scammed to come here uh, under false pretenses. And then when they're here, they will have no choice. In some cases, they were said that they were even driven to the construction site. Wow. Yeah. And so you're saying that they're trapped in this situation? Yes. So they are, it's, it's debt bondage, essentially, right? So you pay a large sum for this supposed college degree. Uh, so they'll handle the student visa for you. You're paying this for the student visa fees, which are incredibly inflated. And your family, obviously, is now bound by whatever. Sometimes they take loans and all that. They sell property oh. to pay for this one shot at you know uh, a Malaysian right. college education that will supposedly change their lives. And when they get here and they realize there's no such thing, they have to work. They have no choice to repay those debts. Yeah. Oh, so they're in debt. Oh, okay. So yeah. they can't just leave and say, you know what, you know, this is a scam. You know, I'm just going to go to the authority and I want to just go back. They can't. They can't because they've already paid, you know, the equivalent of two to three years, you know, wages. And in some cases, they've paid money they, they they don't have. You know, they've taken loans in many cases. And also, unfortunately, a lot of them also don't really trust the system. So they're already here. Uh, they don't think that going to the police uh, is something they can do. Uh, and again, the powers with the college. The college can report them anytime. Uh, say that they didn't attend class or, you know, they are here, you know, working. Uh, and then that will get them deported. And they'll just lose all the money. So when you, so for them, when they... It's it's a false choice, you know. There's no real choice. They have mm. to work, and the only work available to them, construction. Construction. Mm. Yeah. So from someone who's who's in fact we had some cases. We spoke to some of these victims, who had already finished like two years of a degree program in Bangladesh, but thought, oh, I can transfer here, finish my degree here. <laughs> so, so wow. he gets here and he and he has he's been working as a construction at the time I spoke to him for four years already at a construction mm. site. Mm. And he, he I asked him, does he know when does he have a timeline on when he'll get enough money to go back? He says no. It's just slowly, very painstakingly repaying the debts. Well, even and after four years. Yeah, yeah. Because every year then you have to renew your, your visa. Wow. You renew your visa, you have to pay someone to do it for you. Oh my god. <laughs> you have to pay someone who is not a very Probably not a very honest uh, mm, mm. person who will inflate <laughs> the, the price. System. Yeah, yeah. And then you spend a huge chunk of the money that you were saving on that visa. and then you, So you're just very slowly repaying that debt. Yeah. So on that note, on that very serious and very <laughs> sad note, the soundtrack for that series was like uh, this like traditional like I think they're I don't even know what type of music it is but it's like Indian like kind of South Asian drums or percussions right, right. yeah so um, 
so there was once where we were joking, we were talking about uh, the soundtrack for a different uh, documentary. I think it was probably the drug trafficking. We're like, what music should we have here? Mm-hmm. And we were like, oh, maybe we should do um, uh, like whatever. And like, we should pick this music, that music. And then suddenly Clarissa was like banging on the table. And then uh, no, everybody thought like, what's she doing? And then I said, <laughs> Oh, that, were you talking? Is that the student traffic soundtrack? And she was like, "Yes." So <laughs> she thought that she was she was playing this, you know, the that drum effect soundtrack thing, but nobody else could hear it. <laughs> nobody else realized that was what she was doing. Um, so Clarissa, yeah, you, except you me, really, I yeah. you don't really have uh, musical talents. Uh, <laughs> you need musical talents. Funnily enough, <laughs> she does. Funnily oh, enough, she does. Okay. Funnily enough, it's just that I think everybody's everybody's used to her doing random stuff, right? So they were like, "Oh, she's bang on the table when we were talking about soundtracks." Okay, I'm I'm just wondering with all these different pieces of uh, investigation that you do, right? It sounds like very long project. Yeah. So, for example, the the one on drug mules. How long did that take from start to finish? Yeah, that was particularly long because for the first few months, we were not sure whether we could do it safely. So there was a lot of just like risk assessment, trying to figure out the best way to approach this. Um, And also because we weren't sure we would have funding to go to Hong Kong, which we thought was was crucial that we need to speak to the mules that were in prison in Hong Kong. Uh, So finally... I don't know whether it's the story that should be told, but... Let's do it. We finally <laughs> were able to go there because we won an award. Oh. So we won an award that was... This award ceremony was going to be in Hong Kong. Um, so we got a budget to fly there. I see. So you're just piggybacking on this budget. Yeah. You know, to be able to go there and, and yeah. try and see whether you can work on this piece. Yes. Like I told wow. you, investigative journalism in Malaysia, it's really underfunded, under-resourced. Yeah. So sometimes you just got to do, do it this way. And um, in fact, we managed to have two trips like that. So the second time I was invited to do a talk in Hong Kong, and that's when we went again and followed up. So we did a lot of everything <laughs> interview that we, we couldn't finish. So I, I kind of split my, my travel budget and said, can I bring along somebody with me? Um, so I brought my colleague, Shan, uh, who was helping with this investigation. And so he was the videographer. So that that's kind of like a process of investigation when you're not very well-funded, you know, and you don't know what the security uh, risk is going to be like and you don't have, yeah, you don't have security consultants like some of the bigger organizations would have. Uh, so it's just a very slow step-by-step process. Okay, you take one step forward. Okay, now can we proceed? And then you, yeah. So keep, for th- keep winning awards so that you can keep flying, <laughs> go was, to these places. Yeah, it was, and it's just such a coincidence, you know, <laughs> like we had two trips, I had two trips to Hong Kong. Wow. Well, it's not really a coincidence. Like, you know, it was like three to four months after the activist first mm-hmm. got in touch with us. And he was getting, honestly, he was getting a bit impatient with us as well. We were like, <laughs> we want to help, but we told him like, we probably need to go to Hong Kong and, you know, work on this on the ground there. And film some stuff there. How long sometimes this whole thing Yeah. In this case, it was probably around over a year, maybe. Over 13, a year. 12, 13 months. Mm. Student traffic was was the longest one. I remember it was 14 months. 14 months. Wow. 14 months and over that's a year. like a typical period to do a piece on, on something that is very... Mm. Uh, I mean, some of these issues yeah. are really... 
uh, very complex. Yeah, right? I'd say typically maybe about nine, six to nine months. Mm. The longer ones, like student traffic, was that that was a bit of an exception. But yeah, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Giving Hub. Have you ever wondered how to maximize the money you donate to charity? Or if there are any other ways besides giving money that can more effectively help out a charity? Have you ever asked where you can find a charity that is effective in what they do to maximize your contribution? Giving Hub is an online platform to help you manage your charitable giving. You can choose to give to a non-profit organization, a social enterprise, or a charitable project created by volunteers. You can also give in the form of money or volunteer your professional skills to a matching charitable organization. The Giving Hub platform aims to help you give more effectively and to the most impactful organization. Visit the platform to find out how you can do this at www.givinghub.asia.